folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute, housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We are only a few chapters away from completing our study of Revelation, the Apocalypse. On the docket today, chapter 20, last time, we took a quick look at 18, the fall of Babylon, and then 19, the true city, the true bride, the wife of the Lamb, the marriage feast of the Lamb and His kingdom, which has no end, this marriage supper, very sacramental, and uh, we talked about that last time. Chapter 20, I think this is another moment uh, where we're going to see something that is going on, not just way down the road and way up in the distant heavens, but something that's going on even right now uh, in the church of all times and places. I'm going to say more about that as we go along, but that's my big conviction here as we go through Revelation is that it's not so much a book about way up there and way down the road as much as it is something that's grounded even right here, right now. Uh, Revelation we saw many times giving us pictures of heaven, for example, of a very grounded earthly kind of in the divine service realities. And I think that's what makes the book so cool, very comforting for the church of all times and places, even as it does, of course, deal with very end time stuff. Uh, it's very present tense as well uh, for the care and consolation of God's people. Chapter 20 is on the docket. You've probably, I mean, I suppose of all the chapters of Revelation, this one is probably the most heavily debated. I think probably the most popular would be chapter 7. I think probably the most heavily contentious would be chapter 20. A lot of that has to do with the millennium, the thousand-year period. You can't miss it. It's mentioned a whole bunch. And, uh, boy, that's people have taken that and run with it in a variety of directions. So let's, uh, let's get into the text here. Let's unpack that today. The text of Revelation 20 reads as follows. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead who did not come the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, 
But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white horse, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Alrighty, so there we have the text of Revelation chapter 20. First things first, the thousand year period. You'll notice it's mentioned quite a bit in the first part of chapter 26 times, actually. I think if I, uh, if I have my count here, verse 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. I think that alone's kind of... I'll, let me just get back to that in a second. I think that alone's kind of interesting... John's very big on numbers, by the way, or just the number of times you list something. Um, a little while, again, I'll see you, and again, a little while, and you'll not see me this. Why does he say the phrase seven times, this a little while, seven times, to encompass like the perfect little while? Anyway, I'll say more about that soon, but hey, here's the first big thing I think about this thousand-year period. You'll notice it starts with this angel coming down from heaven, having in his hand uh, the key to the abyss, a great chain. This I take uh, to be the first indication of something that sounds very ministerial. Angel, elsewhere in the book of Revelation, we've talked about this, especially that seven angels is a very ministerial group. You have to watch what the angels in Revelation are doing ministerially. And the first thing you hear here is coming down out of heaven. Okay, so we're coming down out of heaven. We've had that before, big heavenly stuff, way distant, out of reach for us stuff God brings down. Uh, He most high and holy deigns to dwell with us most lowly, as the hymn puts it. And so we have this key to the bottomless pit. He sees the dragon and uh, threw him into the pit, shut it, sealed it over him. And uh, that he might not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years. First things first, notice how many terms in here are used that sound a lot like the office of the ministry. This is my big kind of first big point. Keys in his hand. There's a great chain, which is used often in uh, exorcism texts. Somebody's bound by chains. Um, What releases the chains? Forgiveness of sins. How is that done? Someone in the stead and by the command. You've probably seen the... The hand raised, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Son of Man, this language of in his hand. Um, This is exactly what the Son of Man had in the first chapter. He put his right hand upon me. That's what pastors do when they bless and forgive and baptize and absolve and so on. Here we have the language of keys and then binding, seizing which is exactly the language that's used in John chapter 20. Whatever sins you bind, they'll be bound. 
as in retained, kept, held on to whatever sins you uh, loose will be loosed and bound will be bound. The serpent will is also uh, what bound. I love this word. This is all throughout the again Matthew sixteen. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind will be bound. Same word there. Also, Jesus throughout the passion is bound. I love the terminology there because he is bound so that we may no longer be bound to the chains of sin. As you go through this thing, all these terms are very office of the holy ministry. And I think that is part of the beauty of this whole millennium business. And it's totally unnoticed. And that is this millennium period is describing something that's already happening right here and now when sins are being forgiven. Don't be too caught up in the whole timeline thing. Time doesn't bother God at all. He knows how to work uh, above it, transcend it, through it, in spite of it. This thousand-year stuff is not just some sort of neat timeline, put it on a map. It's also a depiction of what happens every time those in his stead and by his command forgive sins. It's as if God himself, Luther would say, is dealing with us. Satan is bound once again. When you see a baptized baby, Satan is bound. When sins are forgiven, the ancient serpent is being thrown down again and again, sealed. And the thousand-year period, similar to this, I take to be the kind of complete, total, again, 10 times 10 times 10, complete, total, uh, fulfillment, guaranteed, sealed victory. When that is set, when our Lord's work baptism, sacrament, forgiveness, and so on, when it's set and done deal, thousand years completed, then Satan must be released for a little while. That's the same sort of situation that we had in chapter 12. The woman who is the church has a place prepared in the wilderness. Satan has some sphere of influence in the midst of it. And yet it's regulated, and yet the time is short. And that's what Satan even hears that in chapter 12. Tell him that his time is short, by the way. This is the same thing. It's not like, so I don't really buy these timelines that have it like, well, thousand years, even if you take it figuratively, you could say, well, thousand years is like, it's the time of the church. And then there's like this Satan season at the end. And then it's this and this, this literally night, neat and tidy. I don't really, I think we're in it right now. I think this short time is happening right now. This he'll be released for a little while because of how good the Lord's sacraments and, and words are. They're set. It's fulfilled. It's completed. It's that thousand years is a reference to his complete and total sealing, his work with his saints, not so much just a clean time period. And this is the beauty of Revelation, something that you think is, well, I mean, Way down the road is actually happening all over the church of all times and places, again, through called and ordained servants of the word. Now, that said, there will be, of course, a finality to this. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. There is an end times reality as well. But again, God, with respect to time, this is how he does this. That end time stuff can spill over into the present and already be actualized, already be happening, already be realized and received and participated in. 
That's what happens again in God's word and sacraments. This picture, that's to, again, the beauty of Revelation is that it's kind of a blurring of the present and the future in a really profound way. It's part of the reason I really love this book. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority was judge uh, to judge was committed, which is kind of a, I mean, this is a, this is kind of an, a, an amazing thing. Um, the judgment that's given to the saints also. Don't you know that you'll judge even the angels, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Uh, these thrones have been prepared for those uh, for whom our Lord uh, knew would be conformed to the image of his Son and in baptism and so on. Um, and I also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, or received its mark on their foreheads. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Um, this already, I mean, are we in heaven? Are we on earth? Is this a both earth and heaven sort of thing? I love this kind of blurring again. There's a reign with Christ down the road. There's a reign with Christ even right now. Those who didn't worship the, the mark of the beast receive it on the forehead and so on. You come to life and reign with Christ in the thousand years. In the first resurrection, which is the resurrection of baptism, of faith, of coming to life in Christ already right here, right now. Kind of fascinating place in the Bible that doesn't, I mean, there's not a lot of places that kind of outline it like this. Um, but this first resurrection I take to be, this is baptism, this is faith, this is the salvation that we have already right here, right now. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection capital D death over such the second death has no power capital D death has no power over you there's just little d death that's just the temporal death they'll be priests of God and of Christ they will reign with him for a thousand years that's another reason I take this to be this is right here right now this first resurrection priests the language of being kings and priests this is already used elsewhere for believers already right here right now and yet at the same, I, I love this. It's another one of these blurring things where it's like the language of coming to life and reigning with Christ. I mean, it's a very, that's kind of, it sounds like bodily resurrection as well. And that's, that's the beauty of it is that that's the kind of, we will also reign with Christ in that very real bodily, physical way also at the resurrection of all flesh. And so there is this in total, complete reign with him in a new heaven, new earth. And so, I, again, I just love the kind of blurring that happens between what we typically think of just that's just end time stuff and what is currently happening in the church, in God's divine service, uh, in the church of all times and places. More to say here. Chapter 20 still has a couple little sections here. We'll pick those up right after our break. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church 
and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcast, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. with our study of Revelation chapter 20. We are about to get into verses 7 to 10, and the thing here is that it's a kind of, as so typical in Revelation, a kind of recap or a cycling of uh, the situation from another perspective. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, their numbers like the sand of the sea. Again, this is something I take to be happening right here, right now. This Satan released from his prison will come out to deceive the nations. This is already something, uh, the language of deception and so on. Um, the great deceiver has been thrown down, and yet he knows that his time is short. This is We're in this right now. Chapter 12 had some of this language. We're in this right now, and the gathering of the battle here is like the gathering of the battles elsewhere in Revelation about uh, preparing the way for the kings from the east to battle at, I think, chapter 16, Armageddon, for example. There are lots of battles in Revelation. This is another depiction of it, another look at it with this particular language of Satan coming out from his prison to deceive the nations. Gog and Magog, I think we we talked about this a little bit. Again, uh, what was it last time? Ezekiel 38 and 39 talk about Gog and Magog. Uh, Representative, you might say, of some big enemies of Israel. Uh, You know, what just comes to mind also, that's right before Ezekiel gets the vision of of the temple. In the last chapters, that's how Ezekiel ends, a bunch of chapters about this temple. So, I mean, that's another interesting kind of like, it's sort of an end times battle, and then you're in the heavenly temple, you're in your your inheritance. Uh, and so I wonder if it's not just a coincidence that that's the arrangement there, as Gog and Magog are used to kind of, what, represent the other side, as it were, Um before we receive this new heaven and new earth, this heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, we'll talk about next time. Their number is like the sand of the sea. Well, what does that sound like? It sounds like Abe. It sounds like, again, this this is like you're either part of the covenant or there's another sort of covenantal group that's bound together that, that have numbers. What does Abe promised? You'll have people like the sand of the sea. Well, you know, here the day the the big deceiver does the same. You want you have p- people like the sand of the sea. Well, I'm gonna have I'm gonna deceive people and have as many as the sand of the sea. Again, it's meant to evoke this kind of oh, sand of the sea. How do I get to be a sand of the sea person? Well, there's a true sand of the sea people, and that is those who are baptized into Christ. They marched up over the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints' beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. 
this is again the kind of depiction that we see in the, the place prepared for you already right here, right now. Even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The camp of the saints, I love the language of camp. Why do you use the language of camp? Because you're in the wilderness. We're in the, this is the tabernacle. Uh, the temple, this is the place, this is our place that's been prepared for us, God's dwelling place in the midst of the wilderness of this world. And as much as it looks like just a camp, flimsy, right? Not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Fire comes down and consumes them. Um, you might also say, too, camp is temporary, right? Heaven is our home, this Jerusalem, and the next chapter is our true home. The beloved city, I mean, that's the language, camp and the city. Is it a city or a camp? Those are different things. No, they're the same thing. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were. They will be tormented day and night forever. This is the unholy trinity uh, being destroyed once and for all, by the way. This is this. It's, uh, you know, it's an end times thing, and yet at the same time, it's a now thing. That language, by the way, of consumed them, um, that's the same, eating up, that's the same language we heard before about take and consume, take and eat. The scroll John has in chapter 10, the scroll made flesh, take and eat. Um, again, this kind of, oh, end time stuff, but also with language that brings to mind present tense stuff of the church. Consume this and the other side, the unholy trinity, will be consumed. Then I saw a great white throne, John says, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Okay, so now we're going to get in the book language again, which again is kind of a, it's its own kind of recap to the book that we saw in chapter 5. Again, God's divine service was presented to us in chapters 4 and 5 with language that sounds awfully familiar. Again, book, you're going to have book in there. Uh, the lamb, crucified lamb, slain. There's blood and book and so on. Wait a minute, doesn't this, we have stuff in, like this in our liturgy, right? Means of grace stuff. And now we have book again. This is sort of a, oh, way down the road book. And yet, wait, we have book. We have book right now. And that is <laughs> the book that's opened up. Um, you know, this kind of book of life idea. And yet, uh, that's not just kind of a hidden end times thing. A book of life, that's the scriptures. The book of life, uh, you'll see yourself in the book of life uh, when you've been uh, incorporated into the book made flesh. When you've been baptized into him, when you partake of him, you'll see yourself in this book. You are in the book of life who is a person. Uh, so everybody's standing there. Again, the language of resurrection, this kind of the word that's used elsewhere in the book of Revelation for resurrection, standing with the lamb, the lamb slain. Isn't he dead? But he's also standing. Death and resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection, always going together. So also those uh, who are in the lamb standing, they are standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. I love this language. Some get a little, wait, according to what they have done. But I love the connection to what was written in the books according to what they have done. What was written in the books. Um, It reminds me of Psalm 40. I've come to do your will. Behold, in the scroll it is written of me. Um, The word here, the point here would be the word is a lens for the works. Right. So if you're looking at this apart from faith, apart from me, you can do nothing apart from the word, apart from faith, apart from Christ. You can do nothing. But when you are in him, look at all the wonderful things that proceed. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, fruits of the spirit talk. Right. This is just the kind of things that flow from faith. That's the kind of. That's the kind of work that's seen from the perspective of the word. According to what they had done, what's written in the books. It's not just like, hey, what'd you do unto yourself with your own talents and abilities and powers? It's according to what was written in the books. According to who Jesus is and what he does in and through. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Look at what I'm doing from the perspective of the word made flesh, the word dwelling in me. That's what the the perspective is here, the lens. And that's also, of course, something that happens even, even right here, right now. The dead were judged by what was written in the books. Uh, according to what they have done, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they have done. Notice the difference. Death and Hades give people up, and what happens? They were judged according to what they had done. Done deal. There's no connection to the word there. It's just, what'd you do? And that's that. That's exactly the situation if you look at this life and say, I want to do it my way. I'll prove my own merit and worthiness, your own good works. Well, this is what it's going to look like, death and Hades, and then it'll look like, well, what'd you do? It's not going to be good enough. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is death being defeated by death, by the way, which is exactly what our Lord does. The enemy is death, and he goes to death to defeat death. Death be swallowed up by death. This is the second death the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I love this kind of, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands, this kind of reality of what baptism gives already right here, right now. There's a particular and very personal writing of your name in the book of life, engraving on the palms of the word made flesh, this very personal engrafting of who you are. There's nothing more core and central about you than this name that's been placed upon you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Nothing more central to your identity. Nothing more secure and certain. And that he has you in the palm of his hands, written, engraved in there that you are his, he is yours. Promise to have that work, that good work that was begun in you in baptism fulfilled and brought to completion in the final consummation of all things, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Beautiful stuff here, Revelation chapter 20. I think we'll call it uh, a day with that. 
But hey, tune in next time. Couple, only a couple more chapters left. We have the new heaven and new earth, and we'll talk a little bit about New Jerusalem next time before we do the final chapter of Revelation. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.